0: Welcome to the Review Name podcast. I am, as always, Jordan. Tonight on the show, we're going to do a very special podcast. Uh, With me, I have Chris, our comics editor. And we're going to discuss uh, Marvel's Marvel Now initiative, which has been rolling out over the past six months. um, And has represented a sea change in Marvel's line of comics, both uh, from a creative perspective and from a numbering perspective. So uh, just like we did with DC's New 52 when all those books finished rolling out, Chris and I are going to sit down over the next hour and discuss Marvel Now as an initiative, what it means for the line, um, some of our favorite books, and the like. So with no further ado, I'll toss things over to Chris and we'll get things started.
1: Okay, so I think uh, the most logical place for me to start is with my first reactions to uh, what to the announcement of Marvel Now and what that meant for Marvel. Um I obviously I don't think any fan is gonna really dispute that Marvel Now was a reaction to DC's The New 52. I mean the New 52 was a watershed moment in American comics industry and very much a game changer for the two big publishers. Because once DC did this big initiative Uh, the books started selling like gangbusters. And actually, everyone, everybody's sales, like across the board, comic sales just kind of rose up in a way that they hadn't in years. I mean, they weren't, it wasn't a profitable uh, market share by any means, but it was still a noticeable change. So obviously Marvel had to react, Marvel had to do something. And I think that Marvel now was very much um, also born of something Marvel was already planning to do. But I think it was both a combination of a initiative that they already had in the works and a reaction to something that New Fifty Two that DC did, the New Fifty Two, which was very popular and very successful financially. Um, but that being said, uh, I was very happy with the Marvel Universe we had. I didn't think that we needed, as a fan, I didn't think we needed a sweeping change that DC did. I mean, DC, when the New Fifty Two happened, there were there were problems there. There were um, books were being canceled left and right. Uh, creators were um seemingly just defecting in droves to marvel it, it was it was a period where you were kind of month after month it was like dc wasn't adding books um and their continuity has always been kind of a mess but had definitely reached points where there was tidying needed i didn't think that marvel was at that point and i was very happy with a lot of the marvel uh runs that i was collecting at the time so i was really worried when the new 50 when uh, marvel now was announced um but very quickly uh marvel now won me over basically because um well i did like a lot of the comics i was reading it was time for some of these creators to move on i mean they had been on the books for like seven or eight years and while i personally would have loved to see some people continue to write these books they've been writing for a very long time for instance matt fractions iron man run i i could have just kept reading that for another year or so um but these creators i mean they after After a while, it's time to refresh the batteries, refresh um, the creative energy and move on to a different title. And I think the thing that really excited me about Marvel now was every creator got a chance to have a crack at the book that they really, really wanted. Since everybody was leaving their book at the same time, everything was open and creators could say, I have a great Thor story. I really, really want Thor right now. Thor is the title I've been waiting for. And they had the opportunity to take that. So everybody kind of got the book that they had been waiting for. And as a fan, I think that's a very exciting prospect. So what I liked about Marvel Now after I got over the initial gut reaction of, ooh, this is new, I don't know if I like this, was that um, creator. It was very, there was very much a synergy between Marvel Editorial and Marvel Creative in putting the right people on the right books. And I think there really were some inspired choices that came out of the Marvel Now um, initiative.
0: It's interesting that you talk about synergy, especially because I think you and I have had conversations a lot, including on the podcast before, about the complete lack of that at DC. Um, and I do think that has something to do with the the success that Marvel's had in that it seems like everyone over there is on the same page, um, not just editors and creators, but creators across books, across families. Uh, it just seems like Marvel has a much stronger concentration on creating a world that is consistent. And on um, everyone getting along and sort of being on the same page creatively.
1: Yeah, I, I think it would be hard to dispute that Marvel is definitely in a better place in regards to that than DC is right now. Um,
0: but I, I also think that's been something that's that's contributed to the success specifically of Marvel now. Like that's that's true across, Marvel, across the board of Marvel, and I think that's been true across the board of Marvel for a few years now at least. Um, but especially in, in looking at Marvel now, you know, you look at new 50, the new 52 and there were like, for the fact that it was cleaning, uh, tidying up the continuity, as you mentioned, it didn't necessarily do a great job at that. Um, whereas I think Marvel now has been a very clean launch across the board. You know, it was, it was never a relaunch. They haven't changed the continuity at all, but it was very cleanly a break. And then the beginning of something new, um, it was, you know, building off the past, but I think, taking a bold new step forward and usually i think in a very successful way
1: yeah i i think that we had be there had been kind of a an era of marvel that had ended i think that you could very clearly just break off what the past eight years had been and who defined what in those eight years um and i think the one of the best things about the marvel now reboot is that All that stuff, like, the the Marvel now just picked up, like, the next day. Nothing was erased, nothing was changed, nothing was rebooted. It's just the same stories continuing, but with everybody, every book feeling very much re-energized because it had a new writer on it taking the book in a new direction and in many ways breaking with some of the expectations that we had developed after reading, say, eight years of Brubaker's Captain America or Five Years of Fractions Iron Man. We had these new uh, creators taking these books in bold new directions, but still respecting everything that came before. And in many ways, their stories being informed by these writers who had had these really long, really well-developed runs, and just taking them and passing the baton and going to the next logical step of where these stories went, or sometimes a next very surprising step, and really um, making a vast divergence from what we had come to expect from a story on a particular title for X number of years.
0: Now, let me ask, uh, I know we're going to get into specifics on books in a few minutes, but I sure. want to ask, um, what, is, what was the book you were most excited about going in before having read any of the books? Um, who was the, the pairing of, of creator and uh, character or team that had you most excited going into the Marvel now?
1: Um, that's really tough because there were a few. There were definitely a few. But if I had to pick one specifically... I would say Kieran Gillen and uh, Jamie McKelvey on Young Avengers. Uh, I know you haven't read Phonogram, the image series that brought these two to prominence. You really—it's on my sometimes. constant to-do
0: list, and I yeah. yeah, I've read I've read literally the first issue. I loved it, and then went and tracked down all the music involved in that, and that derailed me from reading the rest of the book for a while.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I know what your to-do list for comics it looks like, so I, I don't blame you it's, at all. Uh, but
0: <laughs> very long.
1: Yes. <laughs> it is, Long it is,
0: involved. There are there are alleyways and byways and some it is passages. An, it is an intimidating document, let me tell you. Yeah.
1: Um but no, just knowing what they had done with Phonogram, specifically Phonogram Volume Two, uh I really liked the idea of them being able to being the guys who were gonna define the concept of what it means to be a teenage superhero. I, I really thought that they had a very fresh, modern and Um, very, very genuine, like, take on what it would mean to be a teen superhero. And their ideas of um, showcasing everything it means to be 18, everything it means to be just on, like, the, the bubble of adulthood, but, like, through the lens of the metaphor of the superhero. That just really excited me. And just knowing what McKelvey can do when he kind of starts to experiment with art, I think that pairing was the one that excited me the most.
0: All right, well, we'll talk about that book and whether it's borne out your excitement in a minute, but I just wanted sure. to feel out how you, were, how you were entering in Marvel Now since we're talking about first reactions.
1: Well, let me uh, toss that same question back to you, and then you can in that talk maybe a little bit about what you were feeling when you heard Marvel Now, because I think you had a similar reaction to me, but a bit more visceral.
0: Yeah, I was a bit more visceral, and it's funny because you, uh, of the two of us, are definitely more invested in Marvel over, over the long period and in comics in general over the long period. I am still fairly new to the medium um, but basically I think my reaction to Marvel now was sort of an eye roll because I'd, I'd been pulled into reading comics on a monthly basis by the new 52. Um, but quickly had found that I was much more satisfied by what Marvel was doing than what DC was doing. Um, pretty much across the board, you know, there are a few exceptions here and there, but for the most part, I, would find, found myself more satisfied by Marvel than by DC. And I thought that, you know, the old adage, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I was a little wary. At the same time, I recognized you had runs that had been going on for you know seven, eight, ten years, and it was time to make some changes. And I think it was, it was ultimately smart of them to say, well, we're going to be making these changes over the next few months anyway. Why don't we just do it all at once, uh, and sort of focus the publicity on it. Um, I was specifically not excited by a few things. So I asked you what you're the most excited about. And I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that I've had to eat my my shoe on this a bit, but I was specifically very not excited to see Bendis taking over um, X-Men, mostly because the premise of all new X-Men and bringing the, uh, the original X-Men to the future sounded really not all that appealing to me. And like I said, I've eaten my shoe and we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but I was definitely not excited about that. And it sort of soured me on the whole idea of of Marvel now in general um
1: I if if I could just be no please interrupt and jump in there for a second but yeah I I think that that was a um point of contention for me also specifically just because um I think both of us were really enjoying what Karen Gillan bringing him up again was doing with uncanny x-men and well I think it was easier to accept Brubaker and Fraction leaving their books, which they had been on for a while. It seemed like Gillen was just gearing up, and now Bendis was kind of swooping in and taking it from him. So, yeah, I'll, I'll second your reaction to that book.
0: Yeah, um, and I, I am a, I have a, a very soft spot in my heart for Kieran Gillen, who uh, was doing an excellent job on King X-Men, but was also writing Journey into Mystery, which uh, was ended by Marvel Now as well, and was one of my favorite books of last year. And, I mean, one of one of the most innovative and interesting things I was reading in comics in the last several years. Um, so that was like just what happened to Kieran Gillen, and I think he would probably tell you it was a very good thing, um, considering all the books he's now on. But yeah. um, seeing him torn off of two books that I was really enjoying was not happy. Didn't make me happy. Seeing uh, Avengers Academy canceled, um, which I think was probably going to happen either way, but Marvel now is definitely an impetus for that. Uh there were you know, changes like that made me irked and I it was easy for me to see all the things I didn't like about it uh in Foresight and difficult for me to be sure that I would like anything. So it yeah. was easy for me to have sort of a negative Nancy view on it, and I think it's ended up going very well. I'm very invested in what Marvel Now has done. Um I don't know that I'm really reading many books that I wasn't reading before, but I am reading a few books I wasn't reading before, and I'm excited about a lot of the books that I was reading before uh under their new stewardship. So I would say in that Regard at least it has been very successful.
1: Yeah, I will say that there the one thing that I noticed with Marvel now is there didn't really seem to, and I'm not really saying this is necessarily a um, a knock against what they did, but I didn't really see a lot of new come out of Marvel now. It was it, it, for pretty much every title that went away, a very similar title came around to replace it, and maybe there was a handful of titles that you could truly call new. And while all of the well, a good majority of the books were. Very good and doing interesting things and going in new directions. Um, you had there weren't really any like big additions to the Marvel publishing line. It was mostly replacements.
0: Yeah, it, it it did seem. I think Marvel now was was a combination of circumstance and branding in terms of like we've said they needed people to shift titles. They needed to do something to compete with New 52. So Marvel now, I don't think, I think they knew it's not broken. We don't need to fix it. And so they've, they've sort of, they sort of decided to just stick with what they were doing. Yeah. And I, I mean, for the most part, I agree because I think Mar- what Marvel was doing was working. And I think what they're doing now is working, but I do agree that they've sort of, it was a bit of a missed opportunity in that Marvel now could have had some bold new directions coming out of it. And it hasn't really, uh, at least not on a macro view. I think some books yeah, are on a very right. interesting directions.
1: I, I think individually the books have all kind of gone in some well the books I'm reading at least have gone in some new and interesting directions but um
0: I, but in I don't terms want of like I'm still reading a yeah. book called Captain America I'm still reading a book called sure. Avengers you know
1: I think and I really don't want to talk too much about what DC was doing but I will say I think one of the good things the New 52 did was kind of reintroduce sort of like a horror line into DC comics whereas like I think Marvel has that same kind of stable of characters where they can do that. But um, I I maybe with the cosmic books, they kind of introduced back into the universe a new area that they didn't really have in the past several years. But those two titles are really the only two is really the only thing I can point to and say, like, this is something we didn't have before Marvel now.
0: Well, there's uh, Morbius the Living Vampire, right? That's kind of. new. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there is Morbius. I keep forgetting about that book. Yeah, I uh, sampled and said, no, thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, fair enough.
0: Um, but I mean, I think they did try a few things. I just, none of it felt as bold to me as some new 52 choices did. And yeah, I don't, I don't particularly need to talk about DC. I think we've done plenty of that, um, in the okay. DC centered okay. podcast that we've done. Yep. Um,
1: just can't stop talking about DC. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, for better and worse, but I do yeah. think
0: they did, um, take more risks. They also launched far more titles over yeah. the course of new 52. Yeah. So that might have something to do with it. But like bring
1: re- bring the conversation back to Marvel. I think I- it's hard again to say that this is a knock against them because like their launch across the board, I felt was just so strong that it- it's it's much harder for me to find a title to truly attack in Marvel now than it was for me to to in the New Fifty Two relaunch.
0: Yeah, I I mean I think I think again for better or worse, the Marvel Now uh, relaunch is pretty watertight.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean th- there are certain books that I'm not personally interested in.
0: But that was but always don't the case, feel like, I think.
1: Yeah, but I don't think that there are any books that are, like, truly, like, maybe hurting the brand in a way that there might be at DC. Um, I, I feel like every book – like, every book I'm not reading is just me saying, like, no, I'm not interested in this, as opposed to me being, like, this. the, the subject matter of this book, the creative decisions behind this book really make me angry.
0: Yeah, I think there are, I think there are several books um, that I find very easy to ignore, uh, but none – well, with po- one possible exception that I know we're going to talk about later – Okay. Uh, none make me angry.
1: <laughs> I, I know what book you're going to talk about. I know you do. We'll save um,
0: <laughs> but we'll get there. Okay. Um,
1: yes. So, yeah, across the board, a very, a very tight relaunch. A very, I think, well-conceived relaunch. I think they real. I think Marvel really took their time and really had a, a number of conversations with creators about what title was right for them and what title they really wanted. I know a few creators had to kind of be talked into their book. Um, for instance, Mark Wade I think had to be talked into taking on Hulk, but I I, I think it's been a very decent fit, Mark Wade and Hulk.
0: It's a, um, that surprises me because I feel like it it has uh, one of the stronger um, premises that seems to be a departure. Behind yeah, it. like it's it's got a very much like this is a new direction for the Hulk. So yeah, it, and
1: that, that did come from Wade, but I, I mean, I don't. I, I think at the beginning it just wasn't a character he was interested in. It was. Oh, well, yeah, that uh, I completely understand,
0: because the Hulk's not a character yeah. I'm particularly interested in. But Wade's sure. premise has hooked me. I'm still reading that book.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like that book a lot. Um, So, just one more thing I'd like to bring up was, well, well still, I'm just talking about this for a second, like, create, creators getting on the titles they wanted. I, I mean, I just think there have been some really great creator pairings like some pairings i didn't expect creators jumping on books i didn't expect like um i I think one of the the biggest surprises for me was rick remender taking on captain america i mean remender is kind of known for sort of like dealing with much grittier darker more gray characters so having him take on captain america was sort of an eye raiser but i think that's kind of the interesting thing about marvel now is like you had creators having the opportunity and being encouraged to maybe step out of their wheelhouse a little bit. And I think that has kind of worked pretty much across the board. I can't yeah. Really- um,
0: I think I, I assume we'll specifically talk about Captain America in a bit. Oh yeah. Um, so I don't want to get into too many of my specifics on that, but I, I agree that you saw some people take on, you saw some obvious things uh, like Hickman taking on Avengers didn't surprise me at all. No, everyone. Um, I think Fraction is, is married very well to fantastic four. Yes. Um, that makes perfect sense to me. But you saw some things that you wouldn't necessarily have expected. Um, I, Reminder on Captain America, definitely. I was surprised by Jason Aaron on Thor.
1: Yeah, that one was a big shocker to me. Um,
0: it just, I mean, and I haven't read Scalped, but I know he was known for Scalped, um, yeah. which is a very dark comic from my understanding. He's been doing some very wacky, fun things on Wolverine and the X-Men, and all of a sudden Thor is just like, I feel like... Well, again, and again, we'll talk about this more in depth in a, in a bit, but I feel like it's proven that Jason Aaron can pretty much write anything well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he's,
0: he's... he's now written at least three vastly different comics um, that are supposedly and or I can guarantee very good.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm very impressed with Jason Aaron. But like, like you said, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, right now, I'd like to talk just a little bit about something else I really like about Marvel Now. And this wasn't necessarily something that was tied to the Marvel Now initiative. But I think it's something they kind of pushed in the initiative going forward. In that, I mean, comics are getting more expensive. Like it's just it's just a reality of the industry. Like a lot of the Marvel books right now are four dollars a book, which is is a kind of a tough pill to swallow. But what makes it easier for me to swallow is the fact that on those four dollar books, Marvel includes a digital download code. So with that, I'm get, I'm also getting a digital copy. So I really feel like I'm getting more bang for my buck when I'm spending those four dollars. And I really like that about Marvel. Like I wish DC was doing something similar. Like I would. I have a much easier time spending four dollars on a comic book when I know that I can like download it on my mobile devices, and if I'm if I'm traveling, I can just like have my iPad on a plane and just like call up my week's comics like that. It just it just really makes that four dollar price tag a lot easier to swallow. So I want to say kudos to Marvel for doing that, for making that a big part of a lot of the books in the initi- and in the that- that initiative.
0: That reminds me of my favorite thing about the initiative that you and I have talked about a lot, um, and that I think has really benefited Marvel in a way that DC is is not uh, enjoying, is the shipping schedule. Marvel Marvel ships oftentimes 18 issues a year instead of 12, um, so you see a book coming out you know twice a month or every three weeks, and that that a means that books are getting through their first arcs much quicker. Which means usually, you know, if if a book's going to be have a rough start uh, and then get into the swing of things, that means it gets into the swing of things faster. It also means that if I'm on the bubble of whether I'm going to read the next issue of a book, it comes out so quickly, I'm like, oh, like I might as well. It's only been you know two or three weeks. Um, uh, I'm surprised to see it pop up again that quickly, and sure, like I'll I'll check it out again um so that means that i'm reading books that i might not be reading in dc and in fact i've i've uh found it very easy to drop some dc books by just going well it's been 4 weeks and i'm not even excited to read it again whereas it's been 2 weeks or it's been 3 weeks and i go well you know it's it's more story it's right here in front of me and maybe it'll be good and if not well then you know i can drop it then so i find myself reading them much uh i find myself reading marvel books for longer than i would otherwise and i find myself um giving some credit to Marvel that might not otherwise uh it might not otherwise get when arcs have gone you know when books started off a little rough um and I'll say Uncanny Avengers on this and I think we'll talk about that in a bit but that book didn't start out very strongly to my mind um but I knew it was coming out every couple weeks and very quickly it got it got through that arc and it's gotten t- into at least potentially more interesting territories now
1: yeah i i think that um you're definitely right with that, and I think that's also very gratifying to someone who may be not used to the monthly reading schedule of comics. In that, which is me, lot definitely. People, yeah. <laughs> it, well, I, I think you're actually a little bit more dyed in the wool than some of the fans that Marvel was tr- that both Marvel and DC were trying to target with these initiatives. Um, and that this whole idea of like you always hear about like the pamphlet reading experience of how like reading a, a monthly comic book isn't very satisfying because it's just like 24 pages and it's done. So like shipping two issues a month, like I think really helps to satisfy maybe the new reader and give them a little and keep them hooked in and just keep them coming and make them feel like they're getting a little bit more of a month of a media reading experience on monthly basis and hopefully continuing to drive them into the stores and or onto the websites and picking up these issues. So yeah, I, I think that's definitely been a smart move for them. I mean, it's, it's straining my wallet to a breaking point, but it's a smart move.
0: And I'll, I mean, I'll be honest. Um, there are books that I are, bubble like I said, bubble books, books that uh, from month to month or from issue to issue, I say, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to be reading this when the next issue comes out. Um, and those books I care about less. Uh, and when it comes to DC, I've cared about it less. Four weeks later, I go, wait, what was even happening in that book? Do I even care enough to look back and figure it out before I go on to the next issue? Marvel, two weeks, like, oh, okay, like I, I'm still sort of in the story. I'm still sort of in the flow of it. Um, sure, why not? Yeah. So I mean, really, like, and that's you know, say what you will about me and my memory, but like, sometimes <laughs> I look at a book and I go, I don't even remember what's going on in that book, and I don't care. Oh, I do that all the time. Um, whereas if I, you know, if it's been a shorter amount of time and I do sort of remember, it's it's easier for me to jump back into the story.
1: Sure. Okay. Yeah, I think that's really a good point. Um, the next thing I maybe will I'd like to talk about before we maybe get into some more like looking at specific families of books and specific titles is this idea that i think marvel was really smart i mean i know that there is an
0: event going on right now age of ultron
1: ah. well
0: am i supposed to react in any other way
1: yeah i i'm not reading it either to be honest
0: with you i tried i did i, tried I think be, you tried longer than i did i try to be a good comics fan i try to i try to read the big events and this this one's been hyped um i just don't care <laughs>
1: You know, you know, for me, it was just like this. This is just an element of character growth. It's just like I need to be able to like I, I needed to be able to not read one of the big events like I, I needed to, to have an experience where I had a big event shoved at me and I could say no. See, I had to be able to say no on my own terms. That's so funny was,
0: because I feel guilty because it's like I'm just just getting into comics and I feel like well the big events it's like you know it's like not watching the Oscars or it's like you no. know ignoring a summer blockbuster like as a fan of comics I have to read the big events and then I just this one was so easy to say no to.
1: Well, I think I, I think because it wasn't really that closely tied to the current continuity of what's going on. I mean, Age of Ultron has been a book that's been about at least I want to say two maybe even three years in the works so. This was a title that was conceived so far in advance. There was no way it could be set in or have any – I mean I'm sure there will be ramifications. But like in the month-to-month flow of books, it couldn't have like direct effects on any of the titles I'd be reading. And I think that was a smart move because Marvel basically gave each of these new books in some cases maybe eight months, in some cases four months, but a substantial amount of time to find their footing – to get developed before a big event came in and ran roughshod all over a writer's plans and just kind of allowed them to really find their audience, find their direction, and grow on their own without having to burden fans with this whole other universe and all these other books that they would have to read to understand what was going on. And I think that was a really smart move on Marvel's part. Yes, there was still the event that drives dollars. And I'm sure I, I I know for a fact that age of Ultron. I've seen the numbers age of Ultron is selling just fine. It is, it is doing just as well as any other Marvel event, but because it is not as tightly tied to the continuity, I think it's really benefiting Marvel now, really allowing the initiative to kind of grow under its own steam.
0: It also means, um, that I don't have to read all the tie-ins. Yeah. Because, because they're not really a part of the story. For example, um, Wolverine and the X-Men did a tie-in issue uh, what last week, two weeks yeah. ago now. Whatever. It wasn't even
1: written by uh, Jason Aaron. Exactly.
0: Now, I, I, I grabbed it because well, Wolverine and the X-Men looked at it and said, oh, it's not even written by Jason Aaron. Like, I don't need to care about this. Yeah. Um, and that's nice because as someone who uh, – like I, I enjoyed Avengers vs. X-Men last year, and yet I think it derailed some books I really liked. For example, Wolverine and the X-Men I think was not as good during the Avengers vs. X-Men era.
1: Yeah, no. I'll, it was too I'll busy re- being a tie-in. Yeah, that I, that really just kind of ripped the steam out of that book, and uh, which otherwise was just like a stellar run at that point. I mean, not to its detriment, I don't think, but it was just less interesting than it had been.
0: Yeah, no. I think I think it actually did some interesting things with the fact that it was a tie-in. Um, yeah. But you know, it had to be a tie-in. Uh, yes. So it's nice to it's nice to have an event that is low-key in terms of that.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that's one thing I've kind of liked about Marvel now in general, where it's like with the the Marvel book Marvel universe as it stood before Marvel now I feel like there was one book you kind of had to be reading to understand what was going on in the universe and to understand like before the forward momentum of the line wide continuity and that book was Avengers because every big event was kind of born out of Avengers so if you if you weren't reading Avengers you maybe had to play a little bit of catch up with what was going on everywhere else and I think with Marvel now we don't really have that I mean I would be Maybe that will change when the summer comes and when Infinity hits. But right now, I don't really think that you can put your finger on one book and say this book is the book that you gotta be reading. and If you're not reading this, you're you're probably gonna be behind the curve.
0: Well, I w- I wonder how much of that is giving each of the writers time to grow in the exact same way we talked about not having the overriding event. Um, I think you know a lot of a lot of the the one principal book means that there are things, events big happenings in Avengers when that was the flagship title, et cetera, that every other writer feels need to respond to. Yeah. And the the less you have that uh requirement, the more each is allowed to grow organically and sort of tell the story it's telling. Um and I think that's a good thing for individual books and not a, I haven't seen it be a bad thing at all for shared continuity, and I, I've i said it before and I'll say it again, I think Marvel is much stronger on the shared continuity front than DC.
1: Oh, I absolutely. Always,
0: I always feel like Marvel is in a shared world, and I understand how every book, no matter how tangentially related, fits into that world. Um, sure. But I do think that this lack of must-read book means that each book gets to be its own little thing for a while, um, and I really like that.
1: Yeah, I do too. I, I, I just like that there's – I I just like that all the books have to react to each other and it's not just one single book kind of being the big fish that everybody has to swim away from or swim behind. Um, I kind of like that everybody is kind of getting in line with each other. It seems like there's a lot of communication happening and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with like a very well-oiled editorial staff, just keeping everything straight, making sure the different offices are talking to each other. Um, And that I, I, I think is good not only for the titles that, um, would be affected by a single book being sort of like the overriding book, but because that book isn't always very, the most interesting to read. If it's like the play setter book, like there was a lot of times where I felt like a, the entire purpose of Bendis' Avengers title was just to set up the pieces on the board for the next big event. Oh and yeah, often, I, I completely say, it a, agree. Like, that interesting a book to read? It, it was just like a it was just a table setter.
0: Right. It was it was like the spark notes for the rest of the Marvel universe.
1: Yeah. So, or, or yeah. Maybe a rather or was that a Rosetta Stone. Like you had. Sure. A,
0: you had to read it to understand what was going on everywhere else, but it was mostly just piece moving.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I, I like I, I like this early year of the Marvel now where everything has kind of been doing its own thing. Individual titles have been given room to grow, and we've really kind of seen everybody just really having a chance to find their footing. And so. I'll
0: say uh, in relation to that, we we talked a little bit about how Marvel's not doing a whole lot new in terms of content. Uh, in terms of the books we're reading themselves. But I think that this lack of flagship and this room to grow has given us a, a huge diversity of different types of stories being told across books. Like there are some very different narratives developing um and being able to grow organically without stepping on each other's toes. Um, I mean you you look at what Reminder's doing on Cap, what Jason Aaron's doing on Thor, um and, you know, we'll talk about both of those and a variety of other things. Uh, Iron Man, like each of these books is doing something very new and very different um, that doesn't ha- like it, that feels of a piece because it, it's in the Marvel Universe is very well integrated, but doesn't have to rely on any of the other books and is allowed to develop as its own sort of narrative. And I think that gives an expansive idea of like what the Marvel Universe can hold for new readers.
1: Yeah, I think these writers have done very good jobs of finding very natural story driven reasons to kind of take their I think this has been especially true of the individual solo characters like I think the writers have really found great ways to put these characters in their own little pocket of a universe and show why these characters are are great and really kind of challenge them in new ways and yeah, the give solo them,
0: books have just been great absolutely yeah
1: like they, they've all kind of had like narratives where it's not like the easy solution isn't like you're not thinking in your mind like oh why don't they just bring the avengers and solve done it's like everybody kind of has a reason for where they are and what they're doing and why that they have to handle this alone and i really kind of like that this kind of like very story motivated reason to keep the solo books relevant and important
0: yeah, and you know, you know, I love that, as I'm always the biggest nitpicker of why didn't they call the Avengers for this?
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much your first response to most things you read that you don't
0: like. <laughs> because it's it's always like, oh my God, how can Tony Stark face down eight bad guys at the same time? Well, he has the Avengers on speed dial. Can't we solve <laughs> this problem pretty quick? I think if he just throws Hulk in there, Electro or whatever their random bad guy's name is, is gonna go down pretty easy. <laughs>
1: Very true. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's get into the real meat and potatoes and start talking about individual families of titles. Yeah, invi- let's eat
0: some meat and potatoes. Nothing so, appetizer stuff.
1: Oh, God, I'm starving now. <laughs> um, so we were just talking about it a minute ago. So let's start with the Avengers family of books. Cool. Um, so I think arguably right now this might be the biggest of the Marvel families. I mean, it's, it's probably a toss-up between Avengers and X-Men, but
0: Isn't I'm— it always? <laughs>
1: Well, it wasn't always, actually. It's only been in the past eight years that it was.
0: Okay, well, um, always in terms of my understanding of comics.
1: Yeah, comics have always been around for the past
0: <laughs> two or three yeah, years. Yeah, they're pretty new, right? Yep. <laughs> like, comics uh, 2004, 2005 ish, right? Yeah. <laughs> around that time. I thought it was really cool how they came up with Batman that recently. Like, how <laughs> did no one think of that before? <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Just
1: sidestepping that. <laughs> we are making so many fanboys so angry right now.
0: <laughs> um. Our review Twitter is gonna be flooded. By the way, you can tweet at us at review named. It's just gonna be flooded with uh people going, "Batman has existed since the 30s. You need to know this."
1: You can send us hate mail. We just like some mail. you. Yeah, we just like
0: here. recognition. <laughs>
1: uh. But yeah, let's start. Let's start with Avengers. Um. So uh a lot of avengers books even more so than we had before the relaunch and we had a lot of avengers before the relaunch um but you had jonathan hickman on avengers shipping bi-monthly and new avengers um uh, who else do you have you had uh rick remender on uncanny avengers um uh karen gillen and jamie mckelvey on young avengers avengers arena Nick um, is Avengers on... Assemble. Nick Spencer's on Secret Avengers. I mean, there's a lot of there's Avengers. A, titles. There's
0: a whole lot of Avengers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. So, I, I think the first thing when we're remarking about how many Avengers titles there is, I think the first question to ask is um, do each of the books kind of serve a niche and is a, like have justify a reason for existing? Because I think that's like a thing we talk about a lot with team books specifically and. With family ex- family expansions, so what, what, I, I think that's probably a good place. Yeah, why don't we run Why don't we run down the list bit. real quick? Yeah. Um. And do we do we feel like all of them are justified to be there? So so Avengers obviously is the core title, and definitely I think.
0: Yeah. Well, as, if there's yeah. going to be an Avengers book, it'll probably be called Avengers. So fair yeah. enough. That's got to exist.
1: Um. But yeah, I, I think most of the books do have their own kind of unique mission statement. And tell are, me what
0: Assemble is doing because I uh, don't care.
1: <laughs> I think I think Assemble is maybe the one that you can kind of point to as maybe being a bit redundant. But the idea behind Assemble is it's just more kind of standalone, maybe continuity, lighter stories that are specifically aimed at maybe somebody who has seen the Avengers movie and doesn't want to be just bombarded with a bunch of Marvel continuity. Maybe just wants to pick up a book that's about Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, and Hulk.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I – I... I picked up the book when it launched right around the Avengers just to check it out last year. Yeah. Um, and it, it like, I mean I thought it was really bad and didn't care about it at all and didn't want to go back to it. Um, but I see, I see how that might serve a purpose. Have you, have you checked in on it since its launch, and is it better?
1: You know, I haven't because I'm really not the target audience for this book. Like, I, I, I enjoy the continuity. I like to be mired in continuity. I like to really kind of dig into all of what's going on. And I, I I, am the guy who has kind of that background knowledge. So when the Obscure Z-List character shows up on the last page stepping out of the shadow, I kind
0: of recognize who that yeah, is. Yeah, you I... go, oh, shit. And I go, Chris,
1: yeah. uh... <laughs> So I I'm really not the target audience for that book. So I I Kelly Sue DeConnick is writing it right now, and I'm I'm very much loving her other Marvel books, so it it's probably doing some great things. It's just it just wasn't my cup of tea.
0: Fair um, enough. Um so I don't see what that's doing. But otherwise I think you're right. Most of the books have have a mission statement in a way that a lot of other family books um in other lines don't necessarily Sure. Um yeah. I mean, I,
1: I think there's maybe some unnecessary overlap here and there. Like I, I'm not reading it. So maybe, um, I, I don't really maybe get why we need a secret Avengers book at the moment because I, I, I just, I, I mean, every, it seems to me that like almost every character in secret Avengers is featured in a different book. So, um, that's,
0: that's true. Um, and as someone who is reading it, I'll, I'll take the pitch. And I think, um, it, it is doing this sort of, and I hope it will do it more in the coming months. Um, I think the the purpose of Secret Avengers in theory is to be the espionage book, to be the book that's about like the Black Ops area of Marvel. Um, so right now the book is centered on um, Phil Coulson, who is uh, from the Marvel movie universe and has been injected into uh, the Marvel universe in ways that I'm not particularly comfortable with, and uh, Nick Fury Jr., who is basically Samuel L. Jackson, also injected in. Uh, along with Hawkeye and Black Widow doing spy shit. Um, okay. And, like, though, again, I I, I was ready. I I actually was reading the book because I was trying to read all of the launch titles, as I did for DC. Yeah. Um, and I was rolling my eyes as much as possible while still actually reading text at the idea of these characters having to be shoved into the Marvel Universe because I don't think we needed them. I think regular Nick Fury is fine. I think any S.H.I.E.L.D. agent could easily fill the Phil Coulson role, even though I like Coulson in the movies and will probably like him on the TV show. Um, so that was kind of annoying to me. But I like the idea of having a book that is like, what is S.H.I.E.L.D. up to? Um, and this is where the sure, last run I, of Secret I, I kinda Avengers— I kind of wish that book was called S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, or I mean, where the last Secret Avengers run um, before Marvel Now was— Basically a team of Avengers, quote unquote, doing block up stuff, but mostly just fighting things. I like the idea of a book that is more just Shield, like what Shield up to. And if you got to have some Avengers in there and call it Secret Avengers, okay. All
1: right, I, fair enough. I can see that. I, I can see. I, I guess maybe I my hesitation comes in from the fact that like I just can't really see where I where there's enough room for kind of real, but again, this is coming from a place of I'm not reading it, but when you have like Hawkeye being an Avengers and his own book and you have Hulk ostensibly being a secret agent for shield in his own book, and then they're in Avengers. It just, it just seems like a book that's covering territory that could be covered elsewhere. And I think maybe for me, a lot of it is because of just the choice of Avengers that they chose to put in that
0: book. Um, But also I feel like um, Hawkeye and uh, Black Widow are Avengers who, make perfect sense as spies. And also, our, while Hawkeye has his own solo title, it, it's not like he's really spotlighted in Avengers.
1: Yeah, okay, that's fair enough, fair enough. And um, solo
0: title is about when he's not an Avenger, so like it gives yeah. him something to do.
1: <laughs> okay, so are, are, you enjoy, are you enjoying the book, would you say? like?
0: Um, It is a bubble book for me. Yeah. It's a book that I, like I said, like I think it has a purpose in the Marvel universe. I think that it's good to do some espionage stuff. I think I, I'm excited for the possibilities of that as an ongoing concern. I don't think it's sold me on its continued existence for me personally. yet. Like, I like the I like the role that it serves. I like it in theory. Um, I will need it to be better than it is currently for me to be reading it in six months. But I say that now and ask me in six months and I may still be saying that's eh, a bubble book, but I'm still reading it. It's it's been fine. Um, most issues have at least one thing that I go, huh, that's kind of a cool idea. Um, and it's actually pretty pretty good at nailing the spy tone. Um, again, it's working out kinks, and I still haven't really accepted Fury Jr. or Coulson as necessary characters in the Marvel Universe, but yeah. I like the idea of what this book wants to be. So even if it's not executing it perfectly yet, I'm going to give it some time to see if it'll figure it out.
1: I will say that... Uh having read one of his uh creator-owned series nick spencer is very very good at weaving a mystery i'm just not sure how great he is at revealing a mystery so i don't know how much secret avengers relies on
0: well the secret the mystery mystery at the center of secret avengers and there is one um this is not a spoiler for you who have not read the book yet um it's revealed in the first issue uh and it's the very beginning basically but the mystery is hawkeye and black widow have signed up uh to have their memories wiped of every mission they do for the Secret Avengers because of an opportunity that Shield is opening up to them. And we do not know what that opportunity is. We know they wanted to do something or they wanted to go after someone or whatever um, from their past. And they they were willing to have their minds invaded and their memories erased for the opportunity to do this, but we do not know what that is yet.
1: Okay. So that's the mystery. Like a
0: decent Boom. hook. Yeah, that's a that's a decent hook. I don't really care if it's resolved well um, because it's mostly just a MacGuffin to get them into the book. Um, so I think it's it's smart in terms of like I go, huh, I'd kinda like to know what that is, but also smart in terms of I will not throw the book down in horror and never read it again if I don't if they reveal what happened and I don't care.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Um, so how about we talk about Avengers, which is the the godfather of the line, the the big the big title, the one that um <laughs> I think a lot of fans were really looking forward to myself included seeing Jonathan Hickman and his meticulous planning and plotting giving a crack at Avengers. Um, I've, I've liked the book so far. I've been a little underwhelmed at times because I, I mean, we're about 10 years in right now and it, it, it really feels like the Avengers are kind of tourists in their own books <laughs> at times because it, it's a lot of them just going around and being, witnesses or just guest stars as like important things are happening around the movie. I, I realize that Hickman has like a grand plan that he's setting things up for. Like I understand how his he works as a writer and how he plots things. But it's just like it's very much just been like the Avengers kind of like going around and yeah. observing stuff happening. Or...
0: Drink every time they teleport in that book. Yeah. <laughs> it's like four times an issue and it's always like they <laughs> teleport somewhere, they see something happen. Maybe Hulk hits something, they teleport somewhere. Yeah,
1: yeah, they just kind of the a, a pattern that we've been going and through.
0: And like again, I think you and I both are willing to give Hickman some space on this, and I think that he's done some interesting things. I think the idea of the the, the villains he set up as a sort of like uh, group of people who travel the universe, destroying worlds to create new and theoretically better worlds, is is a cool idea. Um, I think they're very intriguing villains, and I think he's drawn them fairly well so far. And I mean that you know in a character sense, not an art sense. Yeah. Um but you're right, like not a whole lot has happened in the book and a lot of what's happened has made me go, huh. I don't really understand the significance of this. I'm sure I will at some point, but I don't yet. Um, or huh. Like the The Avengers yeah, it's not really a book about the Avengers. It's a book about like something I don't really know yet and the Avengers are there.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is which is a little bit frustrating just because I he made a lot of promises in that first issue. There's kind of that sequence where he was almost detailing what was to come over the course of his run. And also, I mean, he he created a very expansive Avengers roster, and a lot of characters are just kind of there as window dressing at the moment. So it, it's it's very frustrating to see, like, an entire arc focused on um, the characters from the new universe that he introduced. Uh, uh, Starbrand and Nightmask were almost in starring roles of the last arc of Avengers over people who were actually on the team, actual Avengers. And um, yeah, when I you th- have when you have eighteen characters to flesh out and explore eighteen and counting, it's kind of hard to like shift direction and focus more on your guest stars or your villains of the week than it is on the characters who your title is named for.
0: Yeah, I, I think you you have a uh, maybe one or two scenes in any given issue where it's like, oh, here are some Avengers talking about something, or like here is a character interaction between uh, Sunspot, is it and Cannonball? I don't even know. Because- Sunspot, yeah Yeah, i don't know because they haven't they've barely been in the book um and i and i'm not too familiar with the characters or like uh cap says something to tony and tony's like science 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 and like you get get a little of that every issue um but it's mostly other things going on yeah and that's and and i I, i
1: i know from a fact that like there will be fireworks there will be payoff because that's how it was fantastic for our run work like garrett Albeit, I think he, it took it was a lot easier for him to get to the meat in Fantastic Four, but it was a slow build at first. It was a, it was a very gradual build.
0: I think it was less a slow build in Fantastic Four than a gradual build, um, and I think those are different things. Um, and let me let me distinguish that <laughs> because I think Fantastic Four his run started with some some arcs that were very solidly on the family and on the characters and building that. And over time he layered in these plots that like didn't have much to do with the fantastic four initially. Um, And even at the end, some of them were fairly separated from the fantastic four, but became tangentially important to the bigger story he was telling. Um, And I think you, I mean, you had, you had issues of that book toward the end of its run that had nothing to do with the fantastic four, but were very important to the larger story that was being told yeah. and I was completely into them because I'd been woven in over time. I think he's been doing a little bit too much of that up front in Avengers, and I think it'll all pay off very well in the end. But for the moment it's like I know a lot about the the you know complex new world he's creating and these complex characters that he's throwing into it, but I don't know a lot about how he's writing the Avengers as a team.
1: Yeah, I I think that's uh, I think he's been doing a lot of world building with everything but the Avengers. And maybe the idea is just, like, he wants to set up the stakes, he wants to set up the the, the adversary first, and then, like, throw these characters against it, and just, that's how he'll start to flesh them out. But it's been it's been never a book that I was ever thinking about dropping, but it's been a little bit of a frustrating reading experience.
0: Has there been, Sorry. um I mean, I asked this having read the book, but I don't remember yeah. off the top, man. Has there been a team meeting sort of scene, the sort of thing that we got pretty much every issue with Bendis, and I think is kind of a staple of Avengers? I feel' oh, like, with we've, them, like
1: all sitting around the table eating Chinese food yeah I feel Whatever. like
0: we've had a lot of um a lot of one on one character interactions and then a lot of the team all going somewhere and we see a big panel of all of them but I don't know if we've had a lot of like interactions between these eighteen people as a team
1: yeah no I don't think we've had that so far maybe maybe in the beginning originally when they were like putting the Quinjet together but um yeah don't and really that's
0: think. i I mean that's the center of the book to me
1: yeah i I, I mean I definitely think that I for me, I I think we'll get there. It it's just a matter
0: of Oh wait. yeah, don't get me yeah. wrong. I don't yeah. I haven't lost faith in Hickman by any stretch, and I think a lot of what he's doing on Avengers is interesting, but
1: I think I think some of the trouble too might be from the idea I, I, I think there is a little bit of a natural stumble when it goes to I mean, there there's a big difference between like shipping eighteen issues a year and shipping twenty-four issues a year when you're shipping a book, two books every single month. So I think maybe it's a little bit of an idea of like becoming comfortable with that kind of pacing and like the liberties you can and can't take when you're doing that.
0: And I think I, I'm perfectly willing to forgive that because I'm a Hickman fan and I know this is going places. But I have a, I have a friend who's a big comics guy who has not read any of Hickman's other stuff. And I was talking to him about Avengers, and he said, you know, it's like it's really plotty. Like I, there's a lot going on, but I don't really yeah. understand a lot of it. And like he's just you know he's not into the book because. That's not what he's used to with Avengers. And he's not he doesn't you know, he doesn't have the faith that we have that it's going somewhere because he's never read Hickman before. So like he's heard me say, like, oh don't don't worry, it's gonna go somewhere. But to him it's like I'm ten issues into a book and like I don't even know half the characters on the team if I haven't read them before.
1: Yeah. I mean it's it's definitely a risk for a book that was, you know, Marvel's bestseller before. Um, the relaunch, so... But but it's one that I think is going to pay off.
0: Oh, I, I agree. I think this is a book that, like, we may be saying things about... You know, we may, we may have negative things to say now, but it wouldn't surprise me if in five or ten more issues it was one of the best books I'm reading.
1: Sure. Um. So moving on to another title right now, maybe. Um. What do you, what do you want to talk about next? Uh, uh, why don't
0: we talk about New Avengers while we're on Hickman? Okay, sure. Um. A book that's moving... I think it is we oh, got to go move along a little
1: bit more quickly now, I think. But I, I, I want to say that I, I've been enjoying New Avengers a lot. I think New Avengers has been um, – wh- whereas Avengers I think I've been kind of thinking has been moving too slowly. I think New Avengers, I definitely see a direct line that this book is moving in. And we've had a lot of opportunities for some good character moments and interactions. It's I think, also
0: a, a book I think that benefits from shipping from monthly um, in a way that yeah. I talk a lot about how I like Marvel's – Fast shipping, but I think Hickman uses the monthly shipping to give gravity to every single issue.
1: I I would totally agree with that because that, this is a book that just like has gravitas in each issue, and really, um, I I think more so than almost any other Marvel book out there it has a very clear and specific mission statement, and it really benefits from that. Definitely, yeah, and, and just just a cool idea, just like giving the Illuminati their own book and having them dealing with this huge crisis. And
0: um Yeah, it's it's one of the books I was most excited about coming into um Marvel Now, and I think while the first issue didn't like wow me, it's been pretty consistently seller since.
1: Oh yeah. And and I love Steve Epstein. Like like his 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 art is just a perfect fit for Hickman, I think. I, I I think those two work really, really well together and I'm really happy to see them on the book. Um,
0: um you are right now that I'm looking at time that we need to move faster, so why don't we move on from Avengers? We'll sort of do some highlights as, as we as we go along with other books
1: oh sure um well before before we move on from avengers i know there was one title that we wanted to that you wanted to talk specifically about that being i'm sure avengers arena
0: you want oh to bring yes i forgot that i wanted to talk about that because i yep. don't care yep. <laughs> <laughs> um you're not reading it i am sell me on
1: it it's good it's <laughs> uh it, it's it's not the exploitive bloodbath that I think we both thought it was going to be. I mean, and yes, that it
0: was in the first issue that I read.
1: Yes. Characters are dying, but I, I really think that this is a platform where it, it, it's just a smart move on Marvel's part. Um, marketing wise, because hunger games is something that's very popular right now. It's a very easy concept to sell to fans who don't know these characters and have no reason to like become invested in these characters the way that we have when we were buying these books that some of these characters are migrated in from and also like i mean the, the fact of the matter is as much as we loved avengers academy as much as i loved runaways these books just weren't selling and i hate that i really hate that because they were phenomenal books especially avengers academy and i loved what that book was doing. And I would point to that book as being an example of how you tell great superhero stories and really positive um, affirming of the genre superhero stories. But these books just weren't selling. And the choice was either we aren't going to see these characters again for years and years and years, or maybe they would just pop up as cannon fodder in the next event. And that's where they would have their meaningless gratuitous death scene. In Avengers Arena, at least we're getting like really – Really well done, very character-driven stories about these characters, and getting to spend a lot more time with these characters, other than just having them put in a shelf or having them pop up just to be a random casualty in whatever next big event Marvel wants to do.
0: So, so basically, so, they're they're well drawn canon fodder. <laughs> I,
1: I I would I would say it's more than canon fodder. I I really do. I think they I think they're positioning these characters. Because the book is selling fairly well, so I think their posi- I think we're getting some great stories out of these characters, and I think it's a vehicle to really tell some really interesting stories about characters that weren't going to see the light of the day for light of day for a while. So, otherwise. do you
0: think there's going to be a large reset at some point in Avengers Arena where all the characters come back and we get them doing other things, or do you think that they're all going to die off and then Marvel will wash its hands of the characters that it's lost?
1: No, I think. Before the end of the quote unquote game, you're going to see around six to eight characters get out of the scenario and you're going to have six to eight characters who have had a whole bunch of different fan bases come together to follow them in one book and also new fan bases coming in to read the the Hunger Games Marvel book. And you're going to have eight to six to eight more viable characters than you had before maybe come out of this book. That's my prediction.
0: And the rest will just be dead?
1: Until they're resurrected.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. As it has been and ever will be. Yeah. No one's dead in comics. Literally. Nope. <laughs> you can't you can't even give the uh, the totems of people who stay dead anymore because two of them are alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, moving
1: on. Uh you wanna talk about Spider Man really briefly? Sure. Let's make that one really brief because I have almost nothing
0: to say. Okay, I'm not reading it. <laughs> Neither am I. Uh, I read the first issue. As did uh, I. I think I'm. I think I read the second issue out of some sort of sick, like maybe I'll get on board, and I just don't care. Uh, uh,
1: I, you know what? I I don't either. I find I find the story, um, at best unnecessary, at worst deeply creepy. Um, I I just I, I'm just not interested in Doc Ock's arc of redemption. I think there are much more interesting villains out there that we've seen these kind of stories with. And the mechanics of this is just so convoluted, and I I, I don't know that we needed a darker, grittier, weirder Spider-Man. I, I just it just wasn't for me, to be honest with you. I'm just I'm just not interested in the direction of the stories, and it lost me almost immediately after the second issue.
0: Well, I knew that Spider-Man was doing something big in the build-up to uh, Marvel Now, so I went back and started reading Dan Slott's run on the book, thinking, oh I'll catch up, and then I'll read whatever he's doing in the New Marvel Now. But I got I got past Spider Island and I said to myself, uh, "This is like, it's not really doing much for me. So I never finished catching up on his run before Superior Spider-Man came out. And I said, well, whatever, I'll give it a chance. And it seemed immediately within the two issues I read to have most of the same problems that I did not like about Slots run on Amazing Spider-Man. And I said, you know what? OK, he's just not for me. Uh, I'd love to be reading a Spider-Man book just because I feel like Spider Man's a huge character in comics and I'm kind of ignoring him for the most part, in my reading. Yeah. Uh, I, I
1: think I think slots a really good idea, man. I mean, except for the superior Spider-Man direction, which I, I really don't like. But the way he physically writes the issues, like it's there's a lot of text there. Like there there's really not a lot of subtext. It's just it's 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 all basically poured out on the page. Um a lot of it in dialogue, which kind of comes off as a little awkward at times. It, it's just it was it's just never been my favorite book.
0: Yeah, and it it wasn't doing enough for me to give me or for me to give it much more of a chance than I gave it. Um it was fine. If you like dance a lot, if you like Spider-Man that much, you're probably reading it and loving it. Um or at least tolerating it. But I'll wait to get into Spider-Man till someone I care about takes it over.
1: Yeah. Um Okay, so none of us are really that invested in the new direction of Spider-Man. Kudos to you if you are, but that's just not for us. And feel Um, free to let
0: us know how wrong we are.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So let's talk about maybe some general Marvel Universe books right now. Um, And I'd say that maybe books like Fantastic Four, FF, Thunderbolts, Guardians of the Galaxy, Nova, Fearless Defenders, kind of falls into this category. Um, I want to say that I'm loving Matt Fraction's work on Fantastic Four and FF. I think Fraction is probably my favorite Marvel writer right now. And he's developed a really great synergy between Fantastic Four and FF. Um, I love both books. I love FF a little bit more just because it it has this, it it has this feel to it that really harkens back to the, those early issues, those early um, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby issues where like anything could happen and everything was sort of weird and out there and trippy. Um, and new and exciting and adventurous but at the same time like they're they're doing there's a very fresh and modern feel to it um I think he's just struck an amazingly perfect tone in that book and uh, again I cannot say enough great things about Mike and Laura Allred the art team who have just been knocking every issue of that book out of the park especially when you have scenes where like um cutaways of buildings and you see ant-man and darla deering like racing down the stairs chasing the antsy street gang out into times square just a gorgeous gorgeous book in an unconventional style that i just can't say enough good things about i I love the all reds and i would be reading them that book just for the all reds even if fraction was not but i think those two those that creative team is a great pairing just making that book go
0: i agree and i think that i i completely agree with the idea that fantastic that ff rather is doing some things that are exciting and new and feel like anything could happen in a way that i love but i think um it's easy to love that book more than fantastic four because of that but fantastic four is also making that possible um and i think the books are tied together in very interesting ways but also fantastic four has taken the characters that we have to have in any fantastic four book and sent them off on an adventure that can take them literally anywhere in space and time um, and is using that premise in very interesting, cool ways, but is also freeing up FF to do the wild, crazy, funny, new things it's doing every two weeks.
1: And, and I really love the family dynamic road trip of Fantastic Four. I, I, I think that Fraction, I mean, like, being, being a family man himself, really has that sort of dynamic down, and really kind of, you, you can almost kind of, pick out where it's probably he's incorporating bits of his own life with his own family into specific parts of the book um and I I think that there's just like a really great um fun feeling to this like RV this futuristic RV that's just flying around anywhere and everywhere and that he's he's gotten and he's he's pulled a lot of very heartfelt emotional beats out of the book for the characters that sometimes it's sort of hard to do with the Fantastic Four since you know it's it's a team book that essentially has to have the same four characters in it all the time. So it's a lot of these emotional beats have kind of been done. There, there's not much left to do with these characters, but I think Fraction has been finding really good, meaty moments. I mean, especially the uh, the Valentine's Day issue with Reed and Sue uh, finding the cave painting with Sue is this like revered figure among the aliens. And then you find <laughs> out that Reed was the one who painted it. I, I, I think that there have been some really great emotional beats there but specifically about Fantastic 4 I want to ask you how you felt about the sort of Doctor Whoing of Fantastic 4 under Fractions watch
0: I love it um, as a fan of Doctor Who obviously uh, that that helps but um, I was going to bring that up just because I think what Fractions done here that I think is is really smart and I think is going to pay off very well in the long run is he's made two he's come up with basically two premises for his two books tied them together in a way that Invest you in both, but also each premise could go on indefinitely and be really interesting. I mean, Fantastic Four, as you just said, is basically Doctor Who right now. They're in a time machine, they can go anywhere in time and space, um, and they're going to go have adventures. FF is like, what happens to the world without Fantastic Four? We have a new team trying to fill that void, trying to figure out what happened to the Fantastic Four, and trying to, you know, raise slash educate the future foundation kids who are all adorable, by the way, who are adorable, hilarious, and fraction knows how to write to a T. Yeah. Um, and I think that like both of these are premises I would read for, you know, to infinity. So fraction, basically, um, he hasn't rebooted either book at all, by the way, like this is, you know, FF was focused on the kids. Fantastic four was focused on the family. He's just figured out a new way to take both the books that I think is a great premise that can be carried on forever. Basically. Um, so i've I've loved both books. I think both of them are awesome, and both of them are doing interesting new things while kind of doing the same
1: <laughs> and Just one little quick bit at the end, I have to say that I think Darla Dearing, Miss Thing is probably my favorite new Marvel character of the year.
0: oh, easily my new Marvel favorite Marvel character of the Year, and I think a character that that sort of i she she came out of nowhere so fully formed that I assumed I just didn't know who she was, and she was a big character from before, like yeah. She felt like she had a history to her from the second Fraction started writing her.
1: Oh, totally. Like, it, it's—the it's the amount of work he's—and he, thought he put into this character is just amazing. And I just, I just love that name, too, Miss Thing. It's just—it just makes me smile every time I say it because it's just so funny.
0: And I think in another book, it would be like an eye-roll joke, but the tone of FF and the way that Fraction handles it, it just works. Yeah. That's a, that's a book that I just—I I smile the whole time I'm reading it.
1: Yeah, I think that's the best thing I can say about that book. Um, do you want to say anything about Fearless Defenders before we move on? Or? Sure.
0: Yeah, um, that's another bubble book for me and one that I'll I'll sell simply because I think it's doing something different than most of the rest of the Marvel universe, um, just like Secret Avengers. It's one of the books that – because, as we talked about earlier, I don't think Marvel was doing a whole lot of new In the Marvel relaunch, I wanted to focus on following the new and seeing what they were up to. And Fearless Defenders follows Misty Knight, who is like a cybernetic private detective who I think has a history I'm not aware of. Um, She uh, she used to hang out with uh, Luke Cage and Danny Rand a lot. She used to date uh, Iron Fist. That makes sense. Like, she would fit into that world very well. So we have Misty Knight, a new character who is an archaeologist, and Valkyrie, who is uh, one of the Valkyries (laughs) of Asgard. Um, are sort of thrown together to deal with a threat of Asgardian nature. I don't want to say too much for people who haven't read it and you can go check it out. But basically, this is an all-female team, um, which is something Marvel needs more of. Yeah. And it's, it, its threat is something you're not seeing in a whole lot of other places. And it's just – it's a book that I think could go in a lot of different directions very well, very easily, and be a lot of fun on the way. Um, it isn't yet. It's fine it's a little formulaic, and I think this first arc is, is going to need to be gotten through. I think it's it's a bit of a team-building issue, and it's also a bit of a premise-building issue. Um, but once you once you get through the story, I think the book could go in fantastic directions. And if it does, it'll be well worth reading. Um, for now, I would say it's doing something that Marvel is not doing much of and needs to be doing more of, um, both from a female character perspective and just the narrative it's telling. So it's worth checking out if you're looking for something just different than what you're getting in the rest of your books Though, And I,
1: I really like cohen bunn so uh, i mean i i will praise his uh book over at Oni press the sex gun until the end of the day so uh, uh yeah hopefully he can bring some of that same creative energy and I think part of it because is, it, it's a book i'm not reading, but it's a book i really want to see succeed and uh, those are two like completely antithetical statements but like it's just it's just the, it hasn't hooked me at this point yet. So I'm, I'm waiting for you to maybe tell me that it's getting better and then I'd love to jump back on.
0: And I, th- I think part of my sticking with it is because I don't read the Six Gun, but I do know that Cullen Bunn writes a Six Gun and that it's very well regarded. And I assume that he's got some opening arc jitters because he's dealing with characters who I don't know very well and who aren't very well known. And he's trying to give these disparate elements of the Marvel universe a premise together. But I think once he gets that out of the way, he's probably going to do some very interesting things and at that point, I think it'll be well worth reading. Yeah, I could see that. Or it won't. It'll continue doing what it's doing now, and I'll stop reading it. <laughs> <laughs> it could go either way, honestly. it's Like I said, it's a bubble book. But it's a bubble book I'm willing to sell people on giving a try.
1: Okay, cool. So let's uh, turn down to the X-Men side of the universe. And well, both of us were... A little bit worried about brian bendis taking over the Avengers the day of the x-men books because we really liked what was happening currently with the x-men titles i think we both had to eat our words and that I, i'm really enjoying both all new x-men and uncanny avengers a lot uh all new x-men more so uh because stuart Immonen, another one of my absolute favorite artists uh, in all of comics is working on it and also just because i think that book is just a little bit more character driven but both books i've been liking a lot so far and i like all of the connectivity between what i would call the three main x books uncanny all new x-men and wolverine and the x-men that we've seen um i think that there's a lot of story i think we've seen that uh the 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 original x-men coming to the, to the present isn't just the one-time gimmick story that we thought it was going to be and that there is actually a lot to explore there and there's a lot to get into and i'm i'm just fine with them just like being in the present and really just like looking at all the angles of what their lives have become and maybe why.
0: Yeah, the thing I'm happiest about with the X-Books, and I'm quite enjoying all of them, honestly, um, is Bendis didn't drop the ball. He's picked up the torch from all the stories that have been going on in X-Men for the past few years, and he's run with it. I was worried with the all-new X-Men premise that he was going to do something new, do something different, and sort of get rid of all the uh, the moral complexity that we'd seen develop in the X-Men and the sort of intractable um, problems and conflicts that we'd seen develop between the Cyclops faction and the Wolverine faction over the last few years. And I liked those developments. He hasn't gotten rid of them. In fact, he's sort of doubled down and said, this is the way it is now. Cyclops is a controversial, revolutionary figure, Wolverine is trying to, to temper all of that and to develop more of an Xavier position, though he may or may not be very well suited to that, and Cyclops may or may not be very well suited to being the new Magneto. Um I think Bendis is developing both of those stories the way I would have wanted to see them developed, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I especially like Uncanny for the idea of Cyclops is just barely holding on by his fingernails right now, and you have and uh, really has no one there who really has his back. I mean, Magneto, his loyalties are being called into question. Magic was always a psychopath, and Emma is just really feeling scorn for what for how Scott betrayed her during Avengers vs. X Men. So it's like Scott just barely like steering the storm that he's created. Well, he's created.
0: I mean, he's on his own. His powers are on the fritz. He's trying to figure out exactly what territory he's staked out, you know. He's he's posed himself as a militant revolutionary, but he's not a terrorist in the way that Magneto was when he was a villain. Um he wants to educate people like Xavier did, and he wants to get the new mutants and train them, but he also recognizes that he needs them to be ready to fight more than he needs to train them in the ways of making peace with humans. Yeah so he's he, he it's sort of a more extreme version of what you had during schism, where Cyclops thinks one thing, Wolverine thinks another, and they split up, in that Cyclops has kind of lost everything and doesn't really know how to make his theory operative in the new status quo um and I think that's really interesting
1: which which I think is a hard thing to pull off i think I think doing a book about somebody who is in a sense a little bit directionless and questioning how what their purpose is and how best to make a purpose is very hard. It's very hard to craft a story about that as an engaging, forward-driving narrative. And I think Bendis has done a good job of doing that in Uncanny and a very impressive uh, feat, I think, that he's done.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think the biggest thing I would say about about Bendis right now is as someone who was very much not confident that he should take over the Xbox at all and very much not confident in the way he was going to handle it, I am now riveted and very interested to see where he's going.
1: Yeah, I, I am too. I'm I'm really enjoying these books a lot. I mean, and, I and could I could nitpick,
0: and I think you and I could talk for a while about things that I don't think are great and things that I think could be better, but I will be reading these books probably as long as Bendis wants to write them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've been very impressed with his direction so far, and I like that he's um, really working very closely with Jason Aaron because I was loving Aaron's title before, all this happened and one of my biggest worries about marvel now was that um aaron was gonna be pulled off wolverine the x-men i was very happy to see him continue on with what he was doing
0: i think i think um for better not not at all for worse Marvel knows what it has in jason aaron and knows that he's doing something special on wolverine the x-men um and they've, they've let him loose on thor which as we've Alluded to a lot, and I don't know that we'll have time to dig into now, but I'm sure we'll talk about it again in the podcast because we love it. Um, they know they've got something good, and they they want to stick with it.
1: Yeah, I um I I just want to say really quickly that uh, I I'm just hoping that um that that book will pick up in sales, Wolverine and the X Men will pick up in sales again after all these new titles have kind of had a couple months to be out there because Marvel now unfortunately just really buried Wolverine and the X Men sales wise and locked it down like. So it's sort of around the mid '50s, '60s, in the top 100 uh, most bought comics. Um, so I, I I really hope that book bounces back in a way because I, I think it is stellar, phenomenal, just as good, if not better, than most of the other Marvel Now uh, X Men books out there. So
0: let me ask: Do we need to be worried about that? I don't know. Yeah.
1: No, okay. I don't think that so. we need to be worried right now. If it continues falling, I'd say we need to be worried. But well, if it if it is stable at that number or if it rebounds, like I think it's going to. Like like right now, um, say Uncanny X-Force and Cable and X-Force are selling really, really well. And I don't think that's because these books are exceptionally popular. I just think it's because they had a new number one issue recently and everybody checks out the new number one and fans fall off, fall off, and those books will mellow out. Further down the sales charts as time goes on.
0: Yeah, I um, I'm hoping that's the case, but I also I think we're okay on the front of um, Wolverine and the X Men because it's so important to the X books as a line right now. You know, they yeah. need they need a book centered around Wolverine and what's going on at the Jean Grey School.
1: Yeah, and I, I think we're continuing to have that with Jason Aaron writing. Like I'm not worried about that book at all, and I'm I'm really enjoying its direction. Uh, are you are you reading any other uh, Marvel now X Men books.
0: Um, besides the big three. Yeah. I am not. So I read obviously Cable and X Force, um, Uncanny X Force, and uh, X Men Legacy. I read them as well. When they began, none of them grabbed me. Um, especially Uncanny X Force, which I had loved in its previous incarnation with Rick Remender uh, writing it, seemed to be going in a direction I didn't. It just didn't do much for me. So while I didn't strongly dislike the issue, it I I just decided it wasn't going to be one I was going to keep reading.
1: Yeah, I uh, I wore the first couple issues of each of those. Um, none of them really quite grabbed me. I think at the end of the day that what became the deciding factor for me was I was getting three X Men books. I really liked most of them at eighteen issues a month, and that's really all I kind of needed. So I really kind of had a very satisfying X Men fill at that point. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, getting... uh, I'm I... interested to see what Brian Wood does with his all female team. Uh, that he's launching with Adjectiveless X-Men coming up um, I think either this month or next month. I forget when that book's launching.
0: So I'll be reading be- that as well. Um, I think Brian Wood was doing fine, if not stellar, on Adjective- Adjectiveless X-Men before Marvel Now, um, so I'm willing to give him a shot after. Cool.
1: Um, okay, so I-, I think that about wraps this up. Uh, I-, I think that we both have very, very Um, positive feelings towards Marvel now. I think it's been, I've had a lot of fun reading the books that they've rolled out. As I've said before, like there weren't any, there weren't many books I was really against as they came out. And I think after reading everything, my reaction was more either, yes, this is great. I want to keep reading this or this is, I can recognize that this has an audience, but maybe this isn't for me. There was nothing that I really kind of had to throw down and say like, oh God, no, never again with Marvel now. Um, And I I think that's a really impressive feat.
0: I I felt strongly that certain books weren't doing much for me, like you said. Um, And especially X-Men Legacy, I think, was a complete miss. Um, But I also have strong feelings about the ways that I think that book should be going. Yeah. um, And a strong lack of interest in the character. So... uh, I I
1: hear you on that. For me, it was Thunderbolts. I, I just not really that interested in most of those characters uh it, it's just such a like hardcore expendables kind of vibe to it um I, I just like i i really just no part of that book did i have any interest in whatsoever but like, i could see there being like that the that being book being very well suited to fans of the the extreme books of the 90s i could see that being like a wet dream for those fans uh and so i'm sure that it does have its sort of place in Marvel's publishing lineup. I just, you know, wish it was called something other than Thunderbolts because that is it in no way resembles what the Thunderbolts concept is. So that kind of bother, bugs me a little bit, but not in a big way.
0: Yeah, um, I don't have any investment in Thunderbolts as a rule. I did not care for Thunderbolts, the new book. Um, but again, I think you said it best when you said like. I didn't care for it, but I see how there's an audience for that book. And I imagine people who are reading it and enjoying it, really enjoy it. it. It satisfies them in some way. And it's not like I would be willing to fight with anyone about how they should be reading the book. Cause it's bad. It's just like, if you want that in a comic book and it's giving it to you, great. Yeah. I just don't. <laughs> yep.
1: I think that's uh. yeah, you said it best. Last... Um, yeah. So any other final thoughts before we kick off?
0: Um, I think Marvel's done a great relaunch. uh I'm reading a lot of the books still. I'm reading some bubble books still um I think we've already touched on it, but I will say because we for time problems because we blathered on here and there,
1: yeah, um,
0: didn't get to talk about a lot of these solo books, so I will say, um, Thor hulk iron man captain america they're all doing really interesting things with what a solo title is and telling very different stories with their characters so if you're not reading those books i would read any of them i think captain america is telling a great weird trippy sci-fi story iron man is iron man in space right now that's how you have to say it that's yeah you you told me and you're right um hulk is combining science with punching things very well. And Thor is like an amazingly well done high fantasy book. They're all very different and yet very rooted in the characters, I think. So if you're not reading those, check them out. That's what I would say.
1: I I will second that. Um, And I I think I just ended on the thought of saying that uh, obviously Jordan and I love talking about comics. So if you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to maybe hear us dig a little bit deeper into some of the other titles we didn't really get to, like the books, the solo books we just mentioned or, Young Avengers or Uncanny Avengers, we we would totally be willing to do another one of these special edition podcasts. We have a lot of fun doing them. So if this is something you're interested in hearing more of, please tell us that on Twitter or uh email us and let us know.
0: Yeah, let us know. Chris and I are happy to do special edition podcasts pretty much whenever we enjoy talking to each other. We enjoy talking about comics. We're also happy to integrate comics more fully into the traditional podcast episodes. We tend to do shorter segments or fewer segments on comics because we're not sure the audience is there um, and because a lot of the rest of the staff does not read comics and cannot participate in those so let us know if you like these and we'll do a lot more of them and we'll throw the comics and a whole lot more in the show because we're here we have thoughts and we're happy to talk about them yeah um so let us know uh in the traditional forums you can talk to us at uh at gmail.com on twitter at review or on the website review uh in the comment sections let us know uh what you're thinking. Let us know how wrong we are about the books. Tell us Thunderbolts is great and Uncanny X-Force is amazing and we're crazy. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, we'd love to hear that. Okay, so uh, yeah, this has been great. On and that note, uh, yeah. Jordan, I think uh,
1: at some point we should schedule another one of these special edition podcasts maybe uh, talk about Image a little bit. Since we've been giving so much love to Marvel and DC, we should maybe... Uh...
0: I would love to do an Image podcast, and I think Image is doing very interesting stuff. So for you comics fans, look out. Chris and I will, in the next month or two, sit down and do an image podcast. Um, and especially if you're a big image fan and you're mad at us for doing a DC and a Marvel podcast and not an image one, yell at us for a while and we'll do it sooner.
1: <laughs> yeah, just just talk to us.
0: Yelling is great. We'll yeah, take we'll yell. take anything.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> cool. Uh, well, great. Uh, it's been fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, and we will be back... Um, very soon. I can't say a specific date because our schedules are crazy right now. We'll be back very soon with a happy hour podcast with another regular installment of the podcast. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.